right, I'm not, okay, I think I did turn it on, so. Well, it is so good to be here this morning. Glory. It's good to see you all. We thank God for each and every one of you, and it's good to meet together with the saints. Praise the Lord. So, um, just a couple of things to mention. Uh, we have a, two copies of our book, and if you'd like to get a copy, you can see Pam should be at the front here, and they're $10, and it tells our story, and what a story it is, and we're glad that uh, we can be here to tell the story. And uh, we thank God for this church, because it's a praying church, and your prayers are effective. The Bible says the fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man or woman of God is powerful, and I know firsthand I've experienced firsthand uh, the answers to those prayers, and I thank God for each and every one of you. And uh, so I, let's see, before I go on, I need to encourage you in regard to your giving. Uh, let me just share with you a couple of scriptures. Proverbs 11.25, I love this. It says that the generous soul will be made rich. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean Everybody's going to be a millionaire. But it's, he's talking here about having generosity of heart. And God will see that every area of our life is cared for. The generous soul will be made rich. And he who waters will also be watered himself. In other words, as we, as we give uh, to the work of the Lord, as we give in support of others, God will see that our life also, in turn, is watered. Uh, the New Testament says the same thing in Luke six, thirty-eight. It says, "Give, and it will be given to you." So we're saying the same thing. If we're if we're generous, if we have a generous heart, uh, then God will see to it that our life is watered. And again, in the New Testament, it says, "Give, and it will be given to you." Good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, or the same measure that you give out, it will be measured back to you again. It's a, it's a spiritual principle that God has established. Uh, so as we sow, so shall we also reap. So I just want to agree with you in your giving and uh, I see some of the things that are happening. I just I went upstairs this morning and saw the, uh, the dividing wall that's up there for school. School, I guess, is just exploding this year. So that's a wonderful thing. Uh, just uh, training up young men and women of God. The Bible says train them up in the way they should go. And when they're old, they will not depart. You know, those seeds that go into a young life, uh, they're, they're there and uh, they're planted, and this is, there's nothing more important than we could be doing than raising up the next generation. So, Father, we just thank you today that you have already sown into our life. Thank you for how you've lavished your goodness uh, upon each and every one of us. And, Father, we just set ourselves in agreement today, according to your word, what your word says, Father, uh, according to as we sow, so also shall we be watered in our life. And so I just set myself in agreement. I'm thanking you, Father, 
for every gift, every offering, every tithe in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, it's a privilege uh, to share with you this morning. And I've had something that's been resonating uh, in my heart. And uh, it's about the goodness of God. The goodness of God. I think it's so important to understand uh, the nature, the character, the goodness of God. So I got a little story uh, to tell before, before I get into my message this morning about this fellow. This fellow was not a very good guy. In fact, he had a terrible reputation. I mean, he was a cheater. He was a swindler. He just, he had a, he had a, just a terrible, terrible reputation for the kind of person that he was. And he passed away. And uh, so his brother was having to plan for his funeral, his brother's funeral. And he was trying to find somebody uh, that would come in and say something good about his brother. Well, I mean, uh, this guy's reputation was so bad, you know, somebody would really have to bend the truth quite far. So, I mean, he offered, he offered, you know, money for different people to come in and do his eulogy. He offered, you know, one preacher $500 if he'd come in and just say something good about his brother. And I mean, nobody was taken. Finally, one guy said, I'll come in, I'll do it. He said, oh, that's great. That's great. So the day of the funeral came and he got up to do the eulogy and he said, this man that is lying here, he was a cheat, he was a swindler, he has, I mean, he just has a terrible reputation throughout this community, but compared to his brother, he was a saint. (laughs) So, so he made it work. (laughs) But I do want to talk this morning about the goodness of God, the goodness of God. And I think this is such, a, such an important message that, that we get a hold of and that really takes root in our hearts. Uh, and the s- scripture I want to begin with this morning is Romans chapter 2 and verse number 4. And some of these scriptures will be on the overhead if you want to write them down and keep uh, track with me this morning. But I love this. It says, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Man, that's such a powerful, powerful statement. He says, "Knowing, Not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. You know, your understanding of God will lead you in a particular direction. It will, it will lead you either toward him or from him. And it's so important because the Bible says in Proverbs 23 and verse 7, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So if, if your attitude and your understanding of God is that, you know, he's... He's a hard taskmaster. He's unjust. He's unfair. 
He's critical. I love what uh, Andy shared this morning. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. And so many people have that mindset about God. You know, I mean, uh, they have the idea that, you know, if I walked into church, I'm telling you what, you know. In fact, I had somebody say that to me. We were here a couple of weeks ago, and someone who doesn't typically attend uh, church came up to me and said, well, I hope the roof doesn't cave in, you know, because I'm here. But um, as a man thinketh in his heart, so, so is he. Uh, our understanding of God is so critical because where you put your focus will determine your direction. Have you ever been driving down the road? You know, sometimes we've been going back and forth uh, a few times. Our son and daughter-in-law and family, they live in Richmond now. And uh, so we've gone down and, and visited with them. And, you know, speeds are pretty, pretty quick on the highway now. And if you take your eyes off of where you're heading, uh, and, you know, if, you, if you, you just for a few seconds focus on something outside of the direction that you're going, before you know it, that's where you're, that's where you're heading. And so... So it is so important that we keep our, our focus in the, right, in the right direction. And I'm not, talking about, uh, I'm not talking about our initial salvation experience, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. I'm not just talking about understanding the goodness of God as regards our salvation. I'm talking about uh, just the spiritual growth that has to happen in all of our lives. If our perception of God is, is, is incorrect, if we perceive him as being uh, hard or judgmental or critical or whatever, that's going to affect, it's going to affect our heart, it's going to affect our direction, it's going to affect every area of our life. The Bible says in 3 John 2, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. So this is not just about finances. This isn't just a scripture about finances. This is about increase and health in every dimension of our life. Every dimension of our life. Your perception of God affects you mentally, how it affects yourself, it affects you socially. Uh, it affects you relationally with other people. And so it is so important that we get this right. Again, uh, Andy mentioned this morning when he was up here, you know, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. And there's so many people that have the idea that God is just so angry at them. God is just so so mad. I mean, oh, he can't wait, you know, to have a day of vengeance. But the, that's not what the Word of God tells us. Now, is there a judgment day coming? Absolutely. Absolutely there is. But God doesn't want us to put our focus on that side of it. He wants us to put our focus on the side of it where his goodness leads us to becoming, uh, uh, leads us toward repentance. You know, he doesn't want us to be becoming harder. 
uh, toward other people. He doesn't want us to become critical and judgmental and, and, and uh, because he wants us to become sweeter. That doesn't mean we become weaker, but it means that he doesn't want us to get into the ditch, a negative ditch in our life. The Bible tells us to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grow in grace and the knowledge of him. And that's so important. I want to give you an example of someone in the Bible who had a wrong perception of God and how this impacted his life. It's uh, the story is in Matthew chapter 25, and the whole story, I'm not going to read it all this morning, but it, it runs from 14, verse 14 through verse 30. But I want to just look at a couple of, uh, couple of verses in this passage. Matthew 25, 24, it's the parable of the talents. It's the parable of the talents. And this is the story where, where the Lord gave out talents to, to, uh, to his servants. To one he gave five, to one he gave three, and uh, to, one, uh, to one he, or he gave two, and then to one he gave one talent. And he goes away. He goes away on a far journey. Eventually he's going, he's going to, uh, to return. And so the one that received five talents, he went... He invested the five talents, and he doubled it. Awesome. So the master comes back. He goes, well done. Great job, you know. The one that received two went out. He doubled it. And the master, again, commends him, says, great job. Look, you know, you started with two, and look where you are. And the one that got one talent, here's what the scripture says. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So this man, this man's perception, and it was an incorrect perception, but nevertheless, it was the perception that he had. And again, this is a parable. And, 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 and it's talking about how people can perceive God and how this man perceived. And the, key, and the key word, when the master comes back, this guy is in really big trouble. And he says to him, he says, you lazy, uh, you lazy servant. And the reason he was lazy was he never really took the time to find the nature, the true nature of, of his master. He might have just you know, been operating on hearsay, what, what, other, uh, what other people might have said. He didn't believe, perhaps, that his Lord would give him a square deal because he got less than the other guys. So maybe he assumed that, okay, you only gave me, you know, one talent, you gave this guy five, so how am I going to match up to what this guy does? I mean, he was totally, totally off base. He didn't think he'd get a square deal. And in fact, you know, we attribute 
we attribute to other people uh, what we find in ourselves. You know, if, if we're a critical, condemning kind of person, we're going to see that everywhere. We're going to see that in, in everybody. We're going to judge people that way. But if, but if our heart is pure and our heart is right, you know, that's not how we operate. We, 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 uh, we, do, we don't blindly make assumptions. And so notice what, what the, the master says when he returns in verse 25, or what he says to the master in verse 25. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. He, he was afraid. He was, he was fearful. He was operating in fear. There you have what is yours. There you have what is yours. So his lack of, uh, of diligence in truly knowing his Lord uh, put him in a position where he was operating on all of these, all of these assumptions, all of these incorrect uh, ideas that he had about, about his master. And he was fearful. He was fearful. And he went and he, he assumed wrong things. You know, God, when the master came back, he said, you know, at least what you could have done is you could have just put it in the bank and given it back with interest. You know, this man did no harm, but he did no good either. He did no good. In fact, you could say he was good for nothing. Literally, he was good for nothing. He didn't do anything. See, God wants us to, to be productive and fruitful. He wants us to, to uh, be our, let our influence touch other people's lives. But this guy, because he was so sour, because he was so contorted in his thinking, because his perception of his, of, of his master was so off track, uh, he, 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 he was operating in fear. You know, the Bible talks about the fear of the Lord, but the fear of the Lord is not a cowering. The fear of the Lord is to give him the respect that is rightfully his, to give him the honor that is rightfully his. I don't know, you know, that, that's a word that we, that we find you know, the fear of the Lord. But, it, but it's not the kind of fear be, that, that we often find because the Bible tells us uh, that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. You know, I, I'm always amazed when I think back at, at my salvation experience. You know, God wants to reveal who he really is to us. I think he, he delights to reveal who he really is to us. You know, I, I came from a background that uh, really no Bible base at all. I went to church, but there was not any Bible base to it, or at least that I ever heard. And uh, when I was on a quest to save Pam from the religious fanatics, <laughs> and I drove out to Utica, New York to save her from them, but I found, I found God. But I can remember the thing that I cried out to God. I, I, all I could say is, I've got to know you. I've got to know you. 
I have got to know you. That's all I knew to say at that point. And I had a very dramatic conversion experience. The first thing that God showed me was how lost I was. I mean, I knew that I was lost in a general sense, but also in a very specific sense. And I, I thank God for that revelation that he gave me. I saw myself, and I wept, and I wept, and I wept because I, was, I saw how lost I was. And, and, um, and, but then God gave me a scripture uh, and in Luke 7, 13 and 14, well, first of all, Matthew 9, 2, he said, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. The goodness of God. I don't think we can truly appreciate the goodness of God until we know how really lost we once were. I see some of these, uh, I see some individual that was very influential, he had written books and, 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 uh, He's decided that he was, he was wrong and he's renounced his Christian faith. And someone who was a friend to him through this whole process wrote to him, it was an open letter, and said, you know, I don't think you really ever knew God. I don't think you ever really knew him. He says, I love you. I pray for you. This guy left his church and everything. But I don't think he really ever knew God, because how can you, when you have that kind of a revelation in your life, you know, and so sometimes, you know, when, you know, evangelistic preaching, you know, points out, uh, makes us aware of our sin, so we can truly be primed to receive the goodness of God, because, you know, the Bible says that repentance from dead works precedes faith in God. And, and, and in order to really have true, genuine repentance, we have to know how hopeless and how lost we were without Jesus in our life. So, I'm talking about the goodness of God this morning. Uh, go with, to slide 7. Uh, we'll just skip the verse 6. So, going back to Romans 2.4. Romans 2, 4, it says, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, his forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? So if you've truly had that kind of an experience in your life, how can you ever turn your back and say, well, you know, I, I, on the goodness of God? I mean, it's, how do you do that? I, I, I can't imagine that. But that's why it's so important to be reminded constantly that God is good. Amen. He's good. And knowing the goodness of God, it leads us, again, not only to an initial salvation experience, but also, you know, I've had bad attitudes in my life. I've had, I've had you know, we all have to, make sure that we keep our heart in a right place. Uh, and we have to repent. You know, I've, I've heard people say, well, you don't, once you're saved, you don't ever have to repent, you know, because it's, oh, wait a minute. No, it's good to say I was wrong. It's good to say, please forgive me. I was wrong for what I said and what I did. And, 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 and so... Uh, 
the Bible tells us here, this, in, in regard to this man that we're looking at in the parable, this guy with the one talent, he despised, discounted, or he never perceived the riches of God's goodness. How, how is it possible? Goodness, the word goodness means to provide something beneficial for someone as an act of kindness. Well, every parent can understand that, right? What you do for your child as an act of kindness. Forbearance means to be patient with the sense of enduring possible difficulty. God so loved that he gave his only begotten son. I would say that God has demonstrated forbearance. No, he could have just, when Adam sinned, he could have just washed, wiped his hands and said, forget it, you know. But he didn't do that. He didn't do that. I mean, I'm still amazed when I wake up. I think, oh my God, we're going to live forever. <laughs> Amen. In God's presence, you know. I mean, it, it's so, especially in our world today, I mean, there's so much has changed you know, so bad, so fast. We have to, we have to stir up our pure minds to remembrance. Unless that negative thought gets inside of our heart and, and, and it begins to, it begins to pollute us. Long suffering is a state of emotional calm in the face of provocation or misfortune without complaint or irritation. These are, these are all attributes that God has demonstrated. And the Bible says the, his goodness, forbearance, long-suffering, not knowing that his goodness leads us to repentance. You know, if you, it's, it's good to remember that. Sometimes in our, in our relationship, maybe in your marriage or whatever, you know, you can get frustrated with that other person or whatever. And it's just good to understand how God treats us, amen, that he's good. He's good. Titus 3, verse 4 through 6 says this, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, the kindness and the love of God, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, Isn't that good? It's not about anything that we earned or deserved. There's no way. There's no way we could have earned or deserved or merited heaven. We were totally on the outside. But the Bible says, whom he poured on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Titus Uh, Verse 7 and 8, 3, 7 and 8 says that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Man, he's justified us, and now he's given to us the promise of eternal life. Now listen what he says here, verse 8. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly. I want you to affirm, I want you to, he's talking here to, uh, to Titus. He's saying, you need to preach about this. You need to remind people of this. You need to keep this in front of people. You know, because what happens is, you know, there's, I think one of Satan's biggest tools is distraction. 
He wants to get our focus off of what is important and central and the nature of God. And he he says, I want you to constantly affirm the goodness of God. I love this song. I'm going to read it uh, to you. It's It's called Evidence by Josh Baldwin. Let me just read it to you. It's a great song. All throughout my history, your faithfulness has walked beside me. The winter storms made way for spring in every season from where I'm standing. I see the evidence of your goodness all over my life, all over my life. Help me remember when I'm weak. Fear may come, but fear will leave. You lead my heart to victory. You are my strength, and you always will be. I see the evidence of your goodness all over my life all over my life. I see your promise and fulfillment all over my life, all over my life. See the cross, the empty grave, the evidence is endless. All my sins rolled away because of you, O Jesus. See the cross, the empty grave, the evidence is endless. All my sin rolled away because of you, Jesus. I see the evidence of your goodness all over my life, all over my life. I see your promises and fulfillment all over my life, all over my life. I see the evidence of your goodness. I see your promises and fulfillment all over my life. Why should I fear? The evidence is here. Why should I fear? The evidence is here. Man, that's a powerful song. I love it. And so he's, he's talking. He's putting his focus. He's stirring up his pure mind to remembrance of the goodness of God. It's where our focus needs to remain in every, every season of life. I want to look at two men this morning who knew of the goodness of God. They understood uh, what God's nature was. The first one is Abraham. Abraham. And Abraham interceded for Sodom. Abraham walked with God for a long time. Abraham had a covenant with God. And so he's interceding that God wouldn't destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, he, got it, he finally bargained him down to 10 people. If there's 10 people, will you spare? Will you spare it? And here's what he said. He said, far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do right. He was called a, a, a friend of God. He had a long relationship and he had a covenant with God. Now, let me just say this. During this period of time, Abraham had a covenant with God and he stood upon that the strength of that covenant to appeal to God and his goodness and his mercy. God was, not, God was not constrained. God didn't have to. I want to remind us this morning where we live in the new covenant. We live in a new covenant that tells us, in, uh, it's not on the scripture, on the, on the PowerPoint. Romans 5.21 says that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
He appealed to God. God was not constrained for him to move on behalf in that situation. But Abraham appealed to that aspect of God's nature and his character. But the Bible tells us where we live now. At one time, uh, sin reigned in death. But now, grace reigns through righteousness. What God did on the cross through Jesus in, in sending his only begotten son to die in our place means that grace reigns now. God, God, God's grace, his goodness, it's available to us. Sin was reigning in death. Mankind didn't have this kind of a covenant that we now enjoy with God. So grace is reigning, man. We just, it's like when we come before God, God, I just worship you. I thank you that grace and your goodness is reigning in my life. So, you know, we might look at that and say, well, you know, that was an isolated situation. But now that has changed because we live in a new covenant, man. That's so, such a powerful, such a powerful, powerful thing. Someone else that really knew God, and this, this one, you're going to enjoy this one, is Jonah. You know, Jonah, God had told Jonah, I want you to go to Assyria and I, or, or, and I want you to preach to them. And, and uh, these were bad people. I mean, they, had, they were terrible people, hard people, murderous people. And he, I mean, he absolutely hated them. And he... Uh, well, if you go to the next slide here. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish. For I know that you are gracious and merciful God. You're slow to anger. You're abundant in loving kindness. One who relents from doing harm. He knew God. Now again, Abraham and, and Jonah, they were living under a far lesser covenant than we have today. But Jonah knew that, that if God sent him to preach, there'd be fruit that would be forthcoming. And Jonah was just, I mean, he was just mad as a hornet because, man, he, I want them all to burn in hell. You know, think, think of some people, you know, think of, a, think of the Taliban, you know, what's going on in Afghanistan now. You know, people that go, oh, they just, you know, the, they ought, all, ought to burn in hell. You know, well, what, if God, what if God sent you there to preach to them? And they all repented. That's not, no, they deserve worse than that. Let me show you how far Jonah went to get away from God. <laughs> So there's Joppa. Joppa's where he got on a boat. And God said, go to Nineveh. 550 miles. But Jonah, <laughs> he went in the opposite direction. You know, I like, Andy, you quoted it this morning. We're all in sync today. You know, no matter, I can't hide from his presence. If I go to the pits of hell, he's there. You know, Jonah thinks I'm going to get away from him. Well, God said, okay. I got to thinking about this, and probably one of the reasons why 
they repented was they probably heard Jonah's story. You know, Jonah, Jonah got, they threw him overboard on his way to Tarshish, and he got swallowed by a whale, and the whale spit him out. He couldn't, he found him to be distasteful also. Right? And I wonder if word preceded. You want to hear a miracle story? This guy, and this guy's coming. I mean, that would add to his credibility as a preacher. Right? And, uh, but the reason, the reason why he was fleeing from God is because he knew the nature and the character of God. And so he said, no, I can't, I just can't, I I don't want to see these people be forgiven. I don't want to see it. You know, I'd rather see them all burn in hell. Right? You know, sometimes we just have to watch our hearts, don't we? Especially in this world today that we live in. We need to to guard our heart. And uh, go to slide 11. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. He became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Man, that's, that's powerful. Jonah hated the Ninevites, and he was displeased that God had spared them because of their repentance. In his mind, God was too good. In his mind, God was, was too good. Psalm 119, 68. I'm almost done. Here's how you're going to know God. And, and, and I tell you what, you know, people spend time parsing through uh, theology and all different kinds of things. I think the most important thing, the most important theological study any of us could do is to learn the true nature and character of God. You know, I've heard people argue, you know, all these different things. and People get in arguments. That's why we have all these different splits and, and divisions and whatever because, you know, we, we don't see on this issue or that issue, you know, and we, we, we choke each other on the, on the minors and we forget the major and Psalm 119 says, you will know God, or I say, you're going to know God by studying his character and his actions. Here's what Psalm 119, 68 says. It says, you are good. That's his nature. That's his character. That's who he is. And you do good. You are good and you, and you do good. You know, Jesus said this when someone came to him one time and called him good master. He said, no one is good but God. No one. In fact, what Jesus, by making that statement, it was really a statement of his divinity. He says, you're calling me good. Nobody is good but God. But the truth of the matter is, in relation to God, it's kind of like that story I told at the beginning here, but compared to his brother, he's a saint. None of us as human beings are perfect, Right? We're all imperfect. Now, I know, I understand. When we got born again, our spirit man is right with God. We're new creations. But in terms of, of how we, uh, who we truly are while we're still in this fallen body, 
you know, none of us are perfect. No man is good but God. In other words, if you're going to truly know goodness, you're going to really, and if you're truly going to become more like him, you're going to have to study and, and study, the Bible says, and show yourself approved, a workman that needs not to be ashamed. The Apostle Paul, even toward the end of his life, toward the latter part of his life, he was still praying this, I want to know him. I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know him. Now, Pam prayed that prayer a few years ago. She was really, that was her prayer. Man, God, I want to know you, and I want to know the power of your resurrection. And that's just before I had my death-to-life experience. So I said, don't pray that prayer anymore. <laughs> Every day is a gift to me, you know. I'm, I'm just so, I'm so thankful. You know, I was without a heartbeat for 8 to 13 minutes. So they call me the miracle man. And I'm grateful every day for that. But Paul, even toward the end of his life, he's saying, God, I want to I I know you. I want to know you. I want to know you. I want to know you. I've got to know you better. And as you come to know God uh, as he truly is, it will change your life. Finally, in Psalm 33, 5, here's what the scripture says. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. The earth is a f- full of the goodness of the Lord. So where do you put your focus? Where do you keep your focus? You know, it's real easy to get on some side track. It's really easy to go down some negative thing. And before you know it, you know, you're, you're, it's, it's affecting your whole life. It's affecting your whole attitude toward things. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Hebrews 12, 15 says, Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. That's a powerful statement. He's saying, Looking carefully, lest any fall short of the grace of God. Be careful, he says, be careful that you don't get sour and negative and critical and you take your eyes off God's goodness and you start to think, well, I'm so-and-so or, you know, you did this or whatever. Unless you, unless a root of bitterness spring up, cause trouble, and it's not only going to affect you, it'll affect others because many then become defiled. It gets off. It gets off. And that's not the direction that we want to go. So I hope that helped you this morning. Um, I had a brother this morning come up to me and say that the Lord impressed upon him that he felt that the Lord wanted to heal some neck problems today. So I'm believing that God's going to do what he wants to do, praise God. And so, let me, just, uh, let me just pray for you. If you have a, a problem with your neck this morning, if you'll go ahead and put your, put your hand where the pain is, in the name of Jesus, right now, Father, we thank you. You sent your word 
And you healed us. Not only for those of us that are seated here this morning, but for those that are watching online. I thank you, Father. There's no time or distance. There's nothing that can withhold or uh, diminish the power of God. And we speak it right now in the name of Jesus. Say, backs be healed. Necks be healed. Pain be gone. In the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you that your word says, by the stripes laid upon Jesus, we were healed. And grace is reigning in this place today because Jesus provided righteousness. So, Lord, we're thanking you for it right now. In Jesus' name, thank you for the healing power of Almighty God that flows in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Now just lift your hands and thank him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. We give you praise and we give you glory. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You sent your word and you healed us today. And we receive it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. 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 Well, my gift to you today is I'm letting you out a little bit earlier. So, uh, where's Andy? What do we do? Do you have a? Do you want to end with a song or something? Or okay, so we have some people that will be up front for prayer this morning. So don't be a, don't be shy today. The Bible says they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So I believe our our prayer is powerful and effective, and you just want some agreement. We've got some folks up here to do that. I bless you. I thank God for you. Uh, I'm, I'm thanking God for what he's doing in our lives, in our church, and for our nation. Father, we pray for our nation, and we speak peace over our nation. In the name of Jesus, thank you, Lord. We are one nation under God. And so, Father, thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord, for bringing peace in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. God bless you. The altar is open.